Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to West Heights Community Church. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Pastor Josh, and we're just so glad that you are, uh, have chosen to be with us this morning. It was nice to have our kids in this time of worship. It's, it's just a way that we practice being together, reflecting who we are as a community, that we are multiple generations. We, uh, and just hearing the kids uh, singing with us, and our, one of our kids said, I know that song from downstairs, and they got really excited. Uh, that's a special opportunity for us to worship and express who we are as a church community. Now, over the past year, uh, our leadership team has taken some time to reflect about who we are as a church and what steps we need to take going forward. And Logan just, just talked about one thing that we've been thinking about, and that's this opportunity to give feedback regarding our facility. Um, See, we know, we believe that we've got some things that we need to do to increase accessibility around this place. Uh, but before we get too far into planning what that might look like, we want to hear from you about what else we should be thinking about. What else should we consider? And so that's just one way that we are looking forward. Now, sometimes looking forward means that we make some changes, and this morning I want to talk briefly about one change, and that is for years we've had this awesome space called the Resource Center over there, and some of us know where it is quite well, and some of us are like, wait, we have a resource center or a library here? Um, and for years we've had this, and this has been an excellent uh, space where we have provided resources and good materials, sometimes books and sometimes otherwise, to our congregation, but as we look to the future, we are rethinking how we provide resources to our church family. And so the end result is going to be that we facilitate a slightly smaller collection of books and other materials that uh, ministry leaders will kind of handpick that will be made available differently than we've done in the past. Our kids and our parents are going to find resources downstairs. Pastor Shar and her team will pull stuff together that we think will be helpful and will be useful and we'll have them available for, for parents and for kids at the lower level while they're picking up and dropping off kids. They'll be there. And up here on the main level, we're going to have a few shelves sitting outside of the current resource center area uh, that, again, will be, uh, you know, we'll put stuff on the shelves, take stuff off based on what we think is useful for the time and season that we are in that will be picked and, and curated by ministry leaders to, that will be, the, the hope will be that it'll support our ministry well here. Now, change like that doesn't happen overnight, not at all. And so next, our hope is that this will kind of take place in the spring, but between now and then, we're going to review the inventory of the stuff we've got there because there's some really good things in there and some things that maybe you might be interested in saying, hey, if we're not holding on to that, can I have that? And what we're going to do is we're going to make available the, re the inventory that we don't decide, we decide that we're not going to hold on to. We're going to make that available to our church family um, and we'll let you know when that, when that takes place. Now, you might be wondering... What are we going to do with that room? There's a room there currently full of books. What are we going to do with it? And that, that's a great question. And right now what we're thinking about is that we want to repurpose that space as ministry space that we can use uh, both on Sunday mornings and not on Sunday mornings. But on Sunday mornings, we're, we would like to make that a space that is a little bit quieter than this spot. For some of us, this room is quite loud at times, and it would be nice if we had a separate place just to step out to and to take a breather. Maybe you're somebody with sensory issues. Maybe you've got a, a a child who's having trouble sitting still, maybe uh, hearing is difficult in this space and you just need to step out and you know what, that space will be available on a Sunday morning and we'll have a TV up with the, with the service going so that if for some reason this isn't working for you, 
we have another space available and we're, we're, we're thinking that might meet some of the needs of our congregation. And it would also mean that we have another room available that can be used as a prayer space or a small meeting room as needed and it would be available right here on the main floor of our, of our, um, our facility right now. And so we think that there's some good uses of that space and then we're looking forward to being able to, uh, to make use of it in those ways. Now, in conclusion, as we, before we get into our teaching time, I want to make sure that as we talk about changes to this space, that we acknowledge that there's been many people over the years who have invested themselves into this resource center. You know, people who have picked books, who have who've worked hard to keep things organized, and it has been appreciated. It's been a, a, a ministry that has uh, had a big impact at times, and we want to appreciate the people who have put the time and the effort into leading it, caring for it, keeping it organized. And so I just want to say thank you to those folks who have been a part of leading this ministry over the years. And uh, we look forward to continuing to be working and growing and exploring who are we going to be as a church going forward. And so, again, thank you to, the, to this whole church family as we, you know, lean into where is God leading us next. And this is just a small piece of that right now. Anyways, please invite you to join me in prayer as we prepare for our, our teaching time this morning. Lord Jesus... Thank you so much for today. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to gather and to worship together. And Lord, for how, you, um, how you've been at work in our singing time. Lord, we're grateful for the children that were present with us. And, and as they go to their own, uh, their own time together this morning, Lord, we, we ask for your blessing to be upon them, that they would learn good things. And God, that it would, the things that they learn would settle into their hearts. Lord, we, we ask that you would help them to know that they are loved by you deeply and that there is a community of people that likewise love them. Lord, help us to be good stewards of these kids. Help us to cheer them on. Help us to, to be, be a community that, that, that is looking to uh, grow them into people that can lead your church. Lord, we thank you for this gift and we don't take it lightly. Lord, as we prepare for our time together this morning, we, we ask that you would help us to just pay attention for how you are speaking through this teaching time. In your name we pray, amen. A couple weeks ago, I noticed this uh, advertisement on an ancestry, uh, for an ancestry website on, on TV, and, and the, this advertisement began with this father talking about how much his daughter just loves to read. And he was impressed with it, but he kind of was wondering, where did this come from? Like, how did she get this love of books? And so he dug into his family history, and as he dug into his family history, uh, he discovered that way back when there was, this, there was somebody in their family who not only loved to read, but was an author, who was a published author. And when they moved to North America, when they became a teacher, and this love of reading was just such a part of this member of their family a couple of generations ago. And so this person in the commercial connects the dots between his daughter's love of books and this person from his family in the past. And this connection gives him an appreciation of his daughter's current passion. Now, what an advertisement like this is doing, what this advertisement is doing, is it's inviting us to see that there are possible connections between our present and our past. And the, po the popularity of family tree services highlight for us that for some of us, we have a real longing to be connected to our past as we seek to understand our present. You know, there could be something grounding, really grounding about knowing that we are a part of something that's bigger than our, just the moment that we are in right now. 
And not only that, but I think that as we reflect on our own individual stories, we realize that we aren't who we are because we are somehow self-created. Rather, we are people who have been shaped by the stories of others and often in the stories of, of, of those who have gone before us. My, uh, my grandmother is 93 years old, or will be 93 years old this year. And in her younger years, one of the things that she experienced was the Great Depression. And as a result of that experience, she picked up a, a many habits that she probably got from her mother and the family around her that she's kept up for her entire life. For example, I'm pretty sure she's never thrown out a milk bag in her entire life. My brother's right here and he's nodding. Yeah, and maybe some of the people in your family too, you've, they've never thrown a milk bag out. And instead, what she does is she diligently cuts one end off, washes it out, and she repurposes it for other things. Like, whenever grandma sends cookies home with us, they're always in a milk bag with a twist tie. You know, there are milk bags around her house that have small game pieces or buttons. They are great for holding things and they're very durable, actually. And, you know, that experience, that experience she had, that experience growing up where you needed to reuse and reuse everything was really practical, fairly environmentally friendly too, you think about it that way, but it was really practical and she has kept that habit up her entire life. Now interesting, last time I visited my mom, I noticed that mom was putting baked goods in uh, a milk bag too. Did you notice this? She's doing that now. I don't think my mom watches the service. We'll find out. <laughs> Hi, mom. <laughs> uh, and, and you know what? We, we don't buy milk in bags. We're bad Ontarians, I guess, but we don't buy milk in bags. But if we did, here's the reality I know about myself. I look at milk bags as, as containing the possibility of carrying other things. I don't see them as something you should throw out. I probably would. I'd put them in the recycling. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, I'm like you know, I could put something in that, right? Now, that's a fairly mundane and silly example, but I hope, I'm hoping that it helps illustrate uh, that who we are and what we do is often influenced by the people who've gone before us, for better or for worse. Dig into our family histories and we will see the beginnings of some of the things that we celebrate as well as maybe some of the things that we wish just weren't true. And it isn't just limited to our families. The story of the society that we live in shapes us as well as the story of the various communities that we become a part of. It shapes us as well, too. And so having an understanding about where we come from can be tremendously helpful in navigating where we are going. Now, the reason why we're talking about this this morning is that between this week and next week, we are going to talk about who we are as a church community. And the reason why we're doing this is that over the past few years, who we are has changed. We aren't who we were in 2019. Uh, and, and, and so we're in this process of, of, you know, discovering or maybe rediscovering who we are going to be going forward. And that, part of that's just the impact of the pandemic. But one of the realities here at West Heights is that many of us would consider ourselves to be new. And if that's you, I want to say we're just really glad that you are here that you have decided to be a part of us. And as a result, one of the priorities for us this winter and this spring is to make sure that we have plenty of opportunities to get to know one another, and these name tags are a part of that, and that we are taking some time to talk about who we are as a church community, and this includes talking about the story that has shaped West Heights Community Church. And so this is the aim of our teaching time the next two weeks, and let me just say that I'm really seeing both of these weeks as being one sermon split into two parts. Um, this week we're going to talk a lot about history, 
like a lot about history. If you are not a history fan, you're going to love it. If you're not a history fan, my goal is not to bore you to death. But today we're going to talk about history, and next week we're going to we're going to delve into uh, into some scripture. But these two sermons, in my mind, go together, and it's a, and it's the story that has shaped who we are today as West Heights Community Church. Now, the story of West Heights and really the story of every church starts on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon a group of Jesus' followers in an upper room in the city of Jerusalem. And on that day, uh, the Apostle Peter stood up in front of a crowd of people and he invited people to repent and to turn to Jesus. And the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, it tells us that on that day, approximately 3,000 people were added to the early church. Now, for the first 250 years of Christianity, Christians were seen as, seen as people who lived visibly new lives that were based on Jesus. And they considered Jesus to be their teacher, their savior, and their Lord. And in the book of Acts, we, are, we read the description of how these Christians met in one another's homes. They, they shared possessions freely. And as time passed, they welcomed new believers into their community, regardless of race, uh, class, uh, class, or country of origin. Now, as great as all that sounds, we also have to recognize that in that time, Christians were seen as being enemies of the state, and they were often persecuted because they chose to follow Jesus. Now, things began to change after the Roman Emperor Constantine had a vision and as a result made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. And this, uh, this picture here, obviously, is an artist's depiction of this moment where, uh, where uh, Constantine uh, dis- converts. He's on the battlefield. He sees this vision of the cross, and there's, something, there's a saying, and I won't get, get the words mixed up, but it says something like, in this sign, conquer. Okay, which is really an interesting thing to wrestle with when you think about, you know, is this the beginning of Christendom, Christianity spreading the world, what it has to do with a battle and a war, like how do we make sense of this? But this is a turning point, and Christianity becomes the official religion of the Roman Empire. In fact, becoming a, being a Christian becomes trendy, and many wealthy and powerful people become Christians. And in addition, future emperors force conquered people to convert to Christianity. And as a result, the whole, it feels like the whole world has become Christian in a very short period of time. Now, we could put a positive spin on things and say that it's good that Christianity was spreading and it's good that Christians weren't being persecuted like, they're, like they once were. But it's been said that these, these changes resulted in Christianity looking like a totally different religion than how it started out. See, no longer was the church an organic movement of people meeting in one another's homes around the life and teachings of Jesus. You know, previously when someone converted, they would, they would uh, receive considerable training and teaching. They would be discipled and then they would be baptized as a believer or as an adult uh, before they committed themselves to a fellowship of believers. But now, but now the church had become an institution operating hand in hand with the government. You know, everybody in society was baptized as infants. That's just what you did. And so pretty much everybody was considered to be a Christian. And because everyone was considered to be a Christian, lost was the sense that this early church had that they had a responsibility to share Jesus with others. And that because the church and the state were were intertwined, Christians were expected to serve in the military, which was something that actually most, the majority of the early church rejected. 
Now, from a theological point of view, instead of emphasizing the need for, for believers to follow Jesus in daily life, uh, promise, prom, uh, prominence was given to, to religious doctrine, to mystical experience and the forgiveness of sins. And little emphasis was placed on believers being inwardly transformed to think, to feel, and to act like Jesus in daily life. And as a result, people began to be judged by the uniformity of the beliefs that they had rather than how they lived. In fact, during the Middle Ages, although emphasis on prayer and forgiveness of sins was a really big thing, morality among the clergy and among the lay people, the common people, fell to low levels. Now, between 1200 and 1550, a number of Christian leaders began to realize that there was something seriously wrong with this version of Christianity, that there were some inadequacies here. And this is where we meet people like Martin Luther, Eurek Zwingli, and John Calvin. Zwingli's name is just fun to say, by the way. Zwingli. Try it. Zwingli. And uh, they came forward to, to bring correction to the Christian faith and renewal to the church. And in an attempt to call for public debate on some of these issues, in 1517, Martin Luther nailed a list of 95 statements to a church door in Germany, and this act launched what was known as the Protestant Reformation. Now, Martin Luther and these other Protestant uh, leaders sought to restore the church to its original core values and purposes according to Scripture. That was their hope. And as a result, they separated themselves from the power structures and how, uh, traditions and hierarchies of the church in Rome. They preached salvation by grace, justification by faith, and the priesthood of all believers. They believed that the church existed wherever the word of God was proclaimed and when baptism and the Lord's Supper were practiced correctly. Now, we could say a whole lot more about what happened during this time, okay? We're flying through church history right now. This is like the best and the worst church history course ever, okay? Um, a lot more could be said about what's going on here, but one thing we should note is that the reformers ended up siding with the political authorities in response to a whole variety of things happening in society, and they unintentionally created a new alliance between the church and the state, which was actually counter to what they were originally advocating for. Now, during the height of the Protestant Re Reformation, a few of Zwingli's students, again, Zwingli, it's awesome, Zwingli's students, including a man named Conrad Grable, we have a college named after him here in town, gathered regularly for a Bible study, discussion, and prayer in, in Switzerland. And another uh, similar gathering started to take place in an area in Germany known as Moravia. And a few late, years later, a man named Menno Simons, who we get the name Mennonites from, uh, with four, Menno Simons with four others brought this way of thinking to the Netherlands. And in their own way, each of these individuals rediscovered Jesus and came to believe that the church should be composed of those who made an adult or a believer's confession of faith and who commit themselves to following Jesus in daily life. And on January 21st, 1525, the group that Grable was a part of was baptized one another. And this was the beginning of what is known as the Anabaptist movement. It literally means the rebaptizers. They'd been baptized as, as children, and as adults, they'd come to a moment where they said, I need to follow Jesus. I'm going to be baptized all over again. And these are our theological ancestors right here. And these early Anabaptists broke completely with the concepts of, of Christianity held by both the Catholics and the Protestants. And these Anabaptists believed that the church not only existed when Scripture was, was preached and when baptism and the Lord's Supper were practiced properly, but when its members lived revitalized lives in obedience to Jesus. 
Faith alone, in a sense, wasn't enough, but faith had to be paired with obeying Jesus in daily life, with love being the chief mark of the church. A love that was expressed in mutual care for one another, as well as a love that was expressed in how we treated the people that we call our enemies. And dozens of Anabaptist groups sprung up around Europe, and eventually they came forward to, to draft a confession called the Schleckheim Confession that included statements on baptism, uh, communion, separation from evil, speaking truth, and refusing to participate in, in violence. Now, because of their views on baptism and the church, Anabaptists were persecuted by both Catholics and Protestants. Nobody liked them. <laughs> Great, eh? In fact, there was one particularly intense period, lasted about 100 years, that caused early Baptists to withdraw from society into separate communities or to flee to places, uh, places where it was more safe to practice their beliefs. And North America was one of those safe places. Now, West Heights Community Church, this church right here, is a part of a denomination called the Be in Christ. And it wasn't too long ago that we were known as the Brethren in Christ. And the wonderful thing is we can call both iterations of it BIC. Okay, we didn't, there's a big story about this, I know, but BIC stayed the same. And uh, the beginnings of the BIC was in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania in the late 18th century. And the county contained a large Anabaptist population who had come to Pennsylvania from Europe seeking safety. And most of the founders of the BIC were from a group called the Mennonites. And here in Waterloo Region, we are familiar with Mennonites. Now, the Mennonite influence became a part of this new BIC organization, and it included the, the belief that Christians were called to separate themselves from uh, the world and to live out the kingdom of God. Separation for them included withdrawing from political activity, refusing to be a part of, of uh, violence, including being part of the military, and rejecting the pleasures of the world. And this withdrawal from the world accentuated the importance of, of a community of believers, and so it shouldn't be surprising that a commitment to one another, a strong commitment to each other, was the result. In addition, Anabaptists took Jesus as their model in a very literal way, trying to practice the Sermon on the Mount in detail. And this Anabaptist influence is still very much a part of how we understand ourselves, is a key part of how we understand ourselves at West Heights. Now, in addition to the Anabaptists, there was this group called the Pietists. And they, they also had an influence on, on uh, the founding of the BIC. See, in, con in contrast to the Anabaptists, Pietism was more individualistic and, and in some good ways. See, they emphasized having a personal relationship with God and the importance of having one's heart right with God. In practice, they promoted each, uh, that each person would have what is called a crisis conversion experience, which was in contrast to the much less uh, emotional commitment that Anabaptists had towards becoming a Christian. Pietists ta uh, taught that, that the experience of conversion ought to be personal, it ought to be heartfelt, and it ought to result in joy and a Christian pursuing this new relationship with Jesus. And again, this influence continues to, have, uh, to be a part of who we are as a church. Now, in Lancaster County, uh, pietism was expressed in revival meetings in the late 18th century. And many of those who went on to found the BIC attended these meetings, and they began to gather to discuss and to read the Bible together. 
And many of these folks were Mennonites, but they weren't all Mennonites. They were German Baptists, and there were some uh, German Reform folk there as well. And in their discussions together, they became convinced that baptism should be practiced by immersion, and by immersion three times, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you were here in November, you had a chance to witness us uh, baptizing Cheryl in that way. Now, none of the ministers from their previous traditions would baptize them that, that way, though. And so they were advised to just go baptize one another. And so they did. And that act of baptism began the beginning of the BIC being its own group. And they called themselves at first the River Brethren because, you know, where did we get baptized? In the river. And, and so they called themselves the River Brethren. When the American Civil War began, they had to register as being conscientious objectors. We aren't going to fight in this war. And when they did that registration, that's when the name Brethren in Christ seems to first come out. Now, this act of baptism, sorry, going back from the American Civil War for a moment, by 19, or sorry, 1780, land in Pennsylvania, the land of Pennsylvania was full and was getting to be quite expensive. And so the solution was for people to move to find places where land was inexpensive and available. And, and inexpensive land was found here in Ontario and leading me, uh, members of this River Brethren group to come to Canada. Now, there's a lot that we could discuss here. There really is. And uh, we do have a book that uh, you can borrow. I have a copy, and I can get a copy out of the Resource Center if you're interested in this. Um, full disclosure, this is a really big book. It's about this thick. I have read all of it because I'm weird like that. Um, and also, it, it needs some updating in light of uh, some of the things that have happened over the past couple of years. But if you are interested in this story... Uh, it's kind of an interesting read. And one of the things I find interesting about it is because it's about what's happened here in Canada and a lot of it's focused in Ontario, you will recognize names of places and names of people. And uh, Cober, Winger, and Cider are all in the first couple of chapters. And I read that and I thought, what have I got myself into? Those names all show up at this church. Uh, and it, 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 but we're barely going to get to the highlights. Uh, this, we're barely highlighting anything this morning. You know, as these river brethren came to Canada, they settled. And early on, they were known as the Tunker here in Canada. It sounds like, what did, how did these people get baptized? They got tunked, okay? Um, and one of the areas that they settled, I know it sounds like I made that joke up, but I actually read that somewhere, okay? Um, one of the areas that they settled is in what we know as Waterloo Region. And as they settled, they began to establish churches and fellowships. And many of these started in homes, but then they went on to establish more formal church gatherings that included uh, building buildings. And one of the churches that was eventually established and built in this area is the BIC Church in Rosebank. Uh, that's not too far from here, in the early 1900s. Now, in the late 1970s, there's a Bible study group meeting in the home of Bruce and Dolores Winger, and where something special started to happen in this Bible study group. And by the way, can I just highlight, this is the third time essentially a Bible study group has been mentioned in this quick history. That is interesting. Good things seem to happen in small group gatherings. That's all I'm going to say about that. And these folks, you know, these folks began to attend a church in Rosebank where the wingers attended, and soon the church was overflowing. And after a few, exploring a couple options, they made the decision to start a church, a BIC church here in, in Kitchener. And in November 1978, the first service was held at West Heights Public School just down the road from here. And in 1986, we built this facility here. Now, our story about who we are as a church isn't about... That's a great picture, by the way. 
like if you're trying to, like we clearly did a renovation because right here should be an aisle and a doorway, okay? And I couldn't remember the year the renovation happened. Anybody? 2014, there we go, 2014 was the reno, yeah. Now, our story is about much more than a building, okay? A building is not the end point in our story about who we are as a church. In fact, in, in we've consistently been, been uh, striving to express who we are and what we're about and what we're going to be about going forward. And in recent years, we've used the phrase to help people find and follow Jesus to describe our purpose, and so as we wrap up this morning, I want to draw out just a few concluding thoughts that I, that I hope will tie together some of the stuff that we talked about, about our past, with who we are today as, a, as West Heights Community Church. And the first is that we have Jesus at the center of who we are and what we do. Next week, this is going to be our, our focus of our teaching time, and in particular, we're going to look at some of the things from the Sermon on the Mount. But like those early Anabaptists who placed the life and teachings of Jesus, of Jesus at the center of their lives, you know, it, it is our aim today to, to, to obey Jesus in our daily life. Our focus is about Jesus and how do we practice following Jesus in very real and practical ways. This reality shapes how we understand what does it mean to be a Christian. And with one of the things being that we take what Jesus says about turning the other cheek or peacemaking or enemy love, we take that seriously. And the sermon series that we just uh, finished about practicing shalom was just one way that we explored, hey, how do we, how do we put Jesus' teachings into practice in the times in which we live? Second thing is we, we want each of us to have a growing relationship with Jesus, I mean, those pietists that influenced us early on were convinced that each of us need to have our own personal relationship with God, and we agree. You know, being a Christian is not about knowing a bunch of all, all the right answers to a bunch of theology questions. Rather, we, we believe that we are invited to know and experience God's love through Jesus at a deep level, at a deep level that is life-changing and life-giving. And this is the reason why we emphasize things like spiritual practices like scripture reading and prayer and why this reset retreat is a part of what we're talking about because these are opportunities that God can speak to us and where our relationship with Jesus can grow. Third, we believe that our relationships with one another matter. You know, like those who've gone before us, we realize that following Jesus is countercultural. And because it's countercultural, we need the presence of community to help us. We need people to cheer us on. We need people to encourage us. You know, together we can encourage, encourage each other to grow as followers of Jesus. And this last year, in 2022, we celebrated a few different milestones together as a church family. We celebrated Shannon's ordination. We uh, promised to support three families as they dedicated their children, they, they dedicated themselves to, to raising their children to know Jesus. And we cheered on Cheryl as she was baptized. These were just three ways that we encouraged uh, others to grow as followers of Jesus. And as a community, we came alongside and we cheered them on. You know, together we have opportunities to take care of one another. And over the years, many of us have known the presence and the care from people of this community as, as we've gone through some really hard things. We want to be a community that cares for one another. And together, we can do things that make a kingdom impact in our neighborhood. You know, uh, things that we couldn't have done on our own. Our Halloween for Hunger initiative has been running th since 2007, and together we have provided nearly 44,000 meals to people in our region who are, are dealing with food insecurity. Or how about this? For, uh, three times in our 44 years together, we have supported and sponsored refugee families. 
You know, and those are just a couple examples. But together we can do big kingdom things. Lastly, we strive to be creative about what it means to follow Jesus. You know, as I think about these theological ancestors, one of the things that jumps out to me is the ingenuity that they showed in exploring and discovering and rediscovering what it meant to follow Jesus. The Anabaptists did it in Europe when they separated themselves from the Protestants and the Catholics. Uh, Those who came to North America had to start a whole new way of life and in the process discovered an exciting new relationship with Jesus. Those who came to Canada had to start all over again and tried various ways to be the church and to plant church communities. And the planting of West Heights was something new and something fresh as people said, hey, let's do something new in this neighborhood. You know, I think the key to who we are as a church, something that's important to me, I think is important to us, is that we are willing to explore what it means to follow Jesus in the time and the place that we live and to experiment with new things along the way. I'm excited to, you know, to dream and to figure out what might come next for us. We don't know, but we're open to it. Now, at this point, I'm going to wrap up part one. Because next week we're going to pick up with part two. And I'm hoping that you're, you're willing to come back and to hear part two. Because next week what we're going to explore is, you know, what does it mean to be Jesus-centered? Because this idea of being Jesus-centered is, is, is a key part to who we are and how we go about the practice of ministry as a community. And so I hope that you will join us again as we continue exploring, you know, who we are. Welcome to West Heights, who we are and what we're about. Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, we want to say thank you for today. And Lord, thank you for the fact that you have brought us together. And Lord, whether or not we've been here a long time or a short time, Lord, there is something that, that there's something unique about a church community, Lord, that where we have something in common that is you. And Lord, we just ask that you would unite us, that you would make us one, that you would help us uh, help one another feel like we belong and find our place here. Lord, we are grateful for those who have gone before us. Lord, we recognize that we are not self-made, but Lord, that there are people who have struggled in, with faith, people who have, who have tried new things, people who have been bold and faced pushback. And Lord, that we, in many ways, are, are recipients of, of how you've been faithful to them. Lord, as we looked to the future, we ask that you would give us dreams, Lord, that you would give us visions of what could be and how you are working in us, Lord, how you are equipping us to be the church here at this time, at this place. God, thank you. Amen.